listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Uh, today's scripture reading is John 16, 7 through 14. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of, the, of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Stephen. Well, good morning. My name is Josh Jedeke. I am one of the elders here. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, we should totally fix that. I would love to meet you, uh, chat with you sometime. I'll be at the potluck afterwards. Come find me. We'd love to learn more about you, hear about your story. This morning, we're continuing our fall series called Equipped for Depth and Restoration in Christ. And you may recall that within this series, there have been three areas where we've been focusing In September, we talked about spiritual disciplines like prayer, reading or meditating on scripture, and Sabbath rest. This month, we've been focusing on spiritual gifts, and we're going to wrap that up today. Next week and through November, we're going to be talking about stewardship. Specifically, how do we steward our time, our priorities, and our finances well? So this morning, we'll be learning from John, from Jesus in John chapter 16 about the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let me pray for us, and we're going to jump right in. Dear God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and worship you today together. We thank you for the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit that you've given us that leads us and guides us in our lives. And now I pray, Father, that that spirit would open up our hearts to hear from your word. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me, that it would be your words and not mine, and that all of our hearts and our minds would be pointed back towards you to bring you glory. I pray all of these things only because Jesus lets me, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, about 10 years ago, I was on a mission trip in the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo. Our team was teaching at a conference in a local church there, through translators, of course, And in addition to our team from America, we were joined by another pastor. From their perspective, he was a local pastor. He was from nearby in Nairobi, Kenya. This pastor was full of joy and energy and smiles. He was such a fun uh, person to have around and a very gifted speaker. Now, when he taught at the conference, he knew the local language. He didn't need to have a translator. But for the benefit of our team, he very graciously chose to preach in English using a translator so that we could also enjoy his teaching and so that we wouldn't be bored out of our minds for an hour every time he spoke. However, there was one moment when the way his translator said something didn't quite come across right in the local language, and someone in the audience asked a question. 
It was one of those questions where the question itself didn't make sense. It was very clear from the question that they had misunderstood. So the pastor from Kenya is trying to clarify. He says, no, 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 let me explain. Spiritual gifts are not the same as the gift of the Spirit. Translator translates. Again, spiritual gifts are not the same as the gift of the Spirit. Translation. This happens a couple more times. I think what was going on is that something was getting lost in translation and the way it was coming out in the local language must have sounded like spiritual gifts are not the same as spiritual gifts. So everybody was confused. Eventually, this is the only time all week that that pastor from Kenya blew off his translator, went into the local language and clarified what he was trying to say. Now for us, we have been talking for the last month about spiritual gifts. But today, we're talking about the gift of the Spirit. So I will say to you, spiritual gifts are not the same as the gift of the Spirit. Everybody got it? Sometimes these are very difficult concepts because they're so different in the Bible, but it's easy to mix them up because the wording is so similar. So today, we're going to distinguish between these two concepts. And so that we understand what the church has believed everywhere, always, and by all. We're also going to dig into several passages of scripture so that all of us can be equipped to know not only what do we believe, but why do we believe that? Where do these concepts come from? Where in the Bible do we see this presented? And through all of it, here's what we're going to find. This is the big idea for today, is simply that all God's gifts are for God's glory. All of it. Spiritual gifts, gift of the Spirit. Ultimately, it's all designed to point our hearts and our minds back towards God and bring Him glory. So here's where we're going today. Quick overview. First, we are going to briefly wrap up our discussion of spiritual gifts. Then we're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, who the Spirit is, what the Spirit does, And then lastly, we're going to look at this phrase, the gift of the Spirit. Why is it significant that the Spirit is described as God's gift to us? So first off, spiritual gifts. This is where we've been for the last few weeks. Remember that spiritual gifts are divinely enabled abilities that God gives to believers, or like we we like to say around here, to apprentices of Jesus. The New Testament references many, many gifts. Just a few of them are teaching, administration, evangelism, leadership, hospitality, service, faith, prayer, mercy. There are many, many gifts. And this isn't an exclusive thing. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to all believers, everyone who is in Christ. Look at what the Bible says about this. 1 Peter 4.10, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. So what this means is that every believer, everyone who is in Christ, has a spiritual gift that God has given them. Sometimes it's multiple gifts, but it's never no gifts. Every believer has at least one gift that the Holy Spirit has provided. So we might say, well, 
what is it? What's, what's my spiritual gift? I don't, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. There are a lot of different ways to determine that. Here's just two of them. First would be to seek the counsel of a trusted Christian friend. This is another believer in your life. It might be someone in your family, someone in your missional group, but another believer who you trust and who knows you well. Ask them, hey, what am I passionate about? Where do I have skill? Where do I find joy? What are the activities that when I'm involved, people respond? Or when I do this or say that, that it has impact for good, that God is glorified? Certainly, you could ask all those questions of yourself on your own, but it's very helpful to seek the counsel of others because oftentimes other people in our life can see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. So seek the counsel of a, a trusted Christian friend, someone who knows you well. Another way to determine your spiritual gift is through one of these many spiritual gift surveys. There are a lot of these. You can find one online. We're actually going to give you one. It'll be in our weekly newsletter this week. There'll be a survey that you can take on your own. What this is, is it's a brief questionnaire. It's going to ask you questions about your personality, about your interests. And at the end, it's going to provide some suggestions of areas where you might have spiritual gifts. Now, it's not claiming to be perfect like thus saith the survey, or that this is the only way you can ever serve the church. No, but it's going to do a very good job of suggesting some areas where you very likely already have gifting and where you might want to investigate opportunities to develop that more. So now once we figure out what our spiritual gifts are, what do we do with them? What do do they get us? Well, the reality is our spiritual gifts don't get us anything. They they aren't for our own benefit. The, The first key that we need to embrace today is that spiritual gifts bless the church. They're not for ourselves, they're for others. When we started this little mini series at the top of the month, Chris reminded us that spiritual gifts are the way God equips us to help others. And that's absolutely right. In fact, we see it in those same two passages. Look at this again, 1 Peter 4. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to make lots of money. No, use it to serve others. 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 7 at the end. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. That's the common good of believers, the common good of the body of Christ. So when we're using our gifts well, it empowers others to grow in their faith, to learn more about God or about the Bible, to serve others better, to love others better. This is where our diversity is such an advantage. Because just like with job skills, when it comes to spiritual gifts, where one is weak, another is strong. Our gifts complement one another so that all believers thrive. This actually reveals another way to determine what our spiritual gifts are. Not by looking at our strengths, but by considering our weaknesses. We need to ask ourselves, what are areas where I am not as gifted and I need assistance from others? That's really difficult because you know what that requires? Humility. And yet church, do you realize that's also by design? The Holy Spirit has given each of us spiritual gifting, but the Spirit has also intentionally given us weaknesses so that we need each other and so that others have the opportunity to use their spiritual gifts in our lives. 
there are many areas of the Christian life, many of these spiritual gifts that we've been listing, where I am clearly not gifted. And yet some of those areas are Kendra's spiritual gifting. I need her in my life because her strengths complement my strengths and we're better together. Spiritual gifts bless the church. They're not for our own benefit. My gifts are for Brendan's benefit. Brendan's gifts are for Val's benefit. Val's benefits are for Armando's benefit. Look at it this way. The reality is God didn't give you a spiritual gift. God gave a gift to the church through you. God is using you, allowing you to be a part of the process of strengthening, building up, empowering the body of Christ. But for that to happen, we got to be using our spiritual gifts. The fact that we have been given a gift to serve others implies an expectation that they'll be used. We know we defy God's design when we try to live the Christian life in isolation, apart from a community of believers, apart from a local church. But we also defy God's design when we're in a local church only consuming and never contributing. God wants us to be actively involved in a church community using our gifts to bless others. And notice, what does that lead to? When believers are using their spiritual gifts to serve others and other believers are being empowered to grow in maturity, to learn more about God, to learn more about the Bible, to deepen their relationship with Jesus, what's the outcome of that? God is glorified. The reality is God gives us gifts so that we can give God glory. God gives us gifts so that we can give God glory. This is the first key that we need to embrace today. Spiritual gifts bless the church so that the church can give God glory. That's the first key that we got to get down. But now in John chapter 16, Jesus isn't talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's get a running start at this passage. Flip back to the end of the last chapter. John 15 in verse 26. Jesus says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, that's the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. This person that Jesus refers to as the counselor, he calls the spirit of truth. That word for counselor, your translation might say helper or advocate. That word means one who comes alongside, one who comes to the aid of another. It's a supporting or an assisting role. And it's not just coming alongside temporarily in kind of a one-off basis, but it implies an ongoing permanent basis. So the Spirit isn't just something that happened to you when you first believed in Jesus, but rather from that moment forward, the Spirit is constantly dwelling with you. Let's get into our, our passage today in John 16, verse 5. But now I am going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says when he leaves and goes back to the Father in heaven, he's going to send us the Holy Spirit. So in this case, the gift is the Holy Spirit himself. In other words, 
God giving us the Holy Spirit comes prior to spiritual gifts. And that makes sense. In order for God, the Holy Spirit, to give us a spiritual gift, we need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit in the first place. This arrival of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about, it's new to the disciples, but it's not new to God. God has been talking about this for a very long time. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36. I will also, this is God speaking, I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. So in some way, God is going to refresh, clean, redeem us. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. In some way, this new spirit that God is going to give us is going to enable us to better follow God's will for our lives, to better follow God's plan. That's in the Old Testament. So here in the book of John, we're seeing that prophecy start to happen. From the New Testament onward, when someone believes in Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. They are forgiven and immediately, instantaneously receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, Peter is given what is basically the first Christian sermon, and it's incredible. Think about some of the great speeches over time. Better. Here's the reaction of his audience. They say this in Acts 2. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, that's us by the way, as many as the Lord our God will call. Peter says, repent and be baptized and you will immediately receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift is available to his audience, the people he's talking to, their families, and all future generations all the way down to today. So once Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit's gonna show up. Now that the Holy Spirit's here, What's next? What what does the Holy Spirit do in the world? The the New Testament describes many, many actions of the Holy Spirit. We're just going to look at a few that are listed here in John 16. And what we're going to see is our second key for today, which is that the Holy Spirit points towards God, but in different ways. Jesus is going to describe three different actions of the Holy Spirit for three different audiences. The Holy Spirit convicts the world, the Spirit guides believers, and the Spirit glorifies God. Let's look at this in John 16, in verse 8. When he comes, that's the counselor, the advocate, the helper, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The first thing that we see is the Holy Spirit convicts the world. This is the world of unbelievers, those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus. 
In this sense, the word convict means to reveal facts, to convince someone of a truth. When, when you feel convicted, you become aware of a truth that you didn't previously realize, and you realize that you were in the wrong, and now you feel a desire to change. You want to correct that wrong in some way. In fact, your translation, instead of the word convict, it may say that the Spirit proves the world wrong instead of convict. And we see an example of this in that Acts 2 passage that we just looked at. Peter's audience, their reaction was they were pierced to the heart. What does that mean? Well, they were convicted. In response to Peter's sermon, they said, Peter, what do we need to do? They said, oh my goodness, Peter, you are so right. I, how, I can't believe I couldn't see this before. I, I don't believe I never saw this. Peter, what do we need to do? How can I right this wrong? They were convicted through Peter's sermon. The Holy Spirit was working in the hearts of his audience. Jesus says the Spirit is going to convict the world about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. He's going to prove the world wrong. About sin in the sense of the Spirit is going to convict the world, making them realize that they are sinners. If, if someone has not believed in Jesus, they haven't been forgiven. They are still living in sin. The Spirit works in their hearts to convict them of their sin so that hopefully they will choose to believe. The Spirit convicts the world about judgment, about righteousness, excuse me. Specifically, the righteousness of Jesus, not their own righteousness. The people at the time thought Jesus was a heretic. The, the religious leaders wanted to kill him. The Spirit convicts them, proves them wrong about their perception of who Jesus is. They need to realize that not only is Jesus righteous, but he's the only one who is truly righteous. Not only are they sinners in need of a savior, but there's only one savior. There's only one who is truly righteous. Lastly, the spirit convicts the world about judgment because as Jesus says in verse 11, that the ruler of this world has been judged. He's talking about Satan. We know that when Jesus returns, he's going to defeat the armies of Satan. And what he says here in John 16 is that, you know what? Satan has already been judged. He has already been proven guilty and Jesus is going to take him out. It hasn't happened yet, but it's a done deal. It's happening. So when the world is convicted about judgment, they realize that Satan is fighting a losing battle and he's trying to take as much of this world with him as he can. What they need to realize, what they need to change is they need to realize who they've been pursuing and make a change. Are they going to follow the only one who is truly righteous, Jesus, or are they gonna follow Satan to his inevitable destruction? So in all of these areas, the Holy Spirit is exposing realities that the world previously didn't understand. In response, the world needs to realize they're in the wrong and decide to make a change. So the Spirit convicts the world by challenging their assumptions about the seriousness of sin, the unattainability of righteousness, and Jesus being the only one who is righteous, and the gravity of judgment. So secondly, the Holy Spirit convicts the world, but the Spirit also guides believers. Look at John 16 and verse 12. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. 
When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. We've seen that the Holy Spirit points towards, points unbelievers towards God. But once we become believers, the Spirit guides us, pointing us back towards God, revealing in our hearts the way that God desires for us to live. This is that still small voice where the Spirit prompts us, the Spirit encourages us. He never forces us, but he leads us to respond, to follow God's will, so that in both the big life decisions as well as in small day-to-day choices, that we would make the right choice, the godly choice. For believers, this is our present circumstance. This is the reality that we live in. We have been saved, and that's not going to change, but we all still have a lot of growth to do, and the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. We are being led by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we are being transformed into the image of Christ. We are being made more and more like Jesus, and that's absolutely right. With the Spirit's help, we are being led to follow Christ to make that godly decision as we strive to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those fruit of the Spirit. And notice the ultimate outcome of this. When we are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, making that right choice, trying to follow God's will for our lives, Just like with spiritual gifts, the ultimate outcome of that is God is glorified. 1 Corinthians 10 says that whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever we're doing, we should do it all to the glory of God. This means every part of our lives should bring God glory. There are moments when we're intentionally, actively glorifying God, when we pray, when we take communion, when we are worshiping in song in a church service. But Glorifying God should also just be a natural outcome of the way that we live our lives, whether it's active or not. The Holy Spirit convicts the world. The Holy Spirit guides believers. One more. Look at verse 14. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Glory, glory, glorify. There's that word again. The the Holy Spirit himself glorifies God because it's in his nature. It's a natural expression of who he is. But part of the way he does that is by convicting the world of unbelievers, by guiding those who are believers, so that both in turn will glorify God with their lives. So whether the Spirit is interacting with God himself, with unbelievers, or with believers, this is the second key that we need to embrace. The Holy Spirit points towards God so that all will proclaim God's glory. All of it is for God's glory. So finally today, we've, we've looked at who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, What about this phrase, the gift of the Spirit? Why is it significant that the Spirit is God's gift to us? Our last truth to embrace today is simply that the gift of the Holy Spirit is truly a gift. 
What do we mean by that? Well, what's implied in the word gift? If I were to take this super cool battery-powered candle and give it to Samir as a gift, some of you are like, wait a second, those have been fake candles this entire time? Yes, I'm sorry to ruin your Sunday. If I were to give this to Samir as a gift, but then say, well, hold up, it's actually, it's $5. Is that a gift? No, it's a transaction. What if I said, um, I will trade you. I'll give you this candle for uh, some cool 49ers gear. Is that a gift? No, that's a barter, that's a trade. What if I said, hey, uh, I need some help. Would you help me move this weekend? Or would you cover my shift at work next week? If you do that for me, I'll give you this super cool battery-powered candle. Is that a gift? No, that's, a, that's almost a bribe, right? <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. A gift, by definition, is free. So when we say salvation is a free gift, in a way, that phrase free gift is redundant. If we had to pay for our salvation, it wouldn't be a gift. But a gift also must be accepted. It has to be received. I could offer the candle, and Samir could say no thanks to the candle. In fact, I could offer him a million dollars, 100% gift, no strings attached, and he could say no. He'd be crazy to do that, but he's not obligated to accept the gift. It has to be received. For God so loved the world that he bartered. For God so loved the world that he made a deal. No. For God so loved the world that he gave. God didn't barter or sell or trade. He didn't negotiate. He gave. It's a gift, and a gift by definition is free. Our response is simply to say thank you, to accept that free gift by accepting Christ, choosing to believe in him. In the midst of that, we need to remember that while a gift is free for the recipient, it's not for the giver. When someone gives you a gift, you didn't have to pay for it, but they did, either with their time, their energy, their money, maybe all of the above. A gift can actually be quite costly for the giver. And the gospel demonstrates this, that God created the world to be in perfect harmony with him and to proclaim his glory. But when humans chose to proclaim their own name instead of God's, that harmony was broken. And we were helpless to do anything about it. We could not possibly earn or pay our way out of that situation. God didn't have to do anything either. He wasn't obligated to save us, but out of love, he chose to give. What was needed was a sacrifice, and it had to be a perfect sacrifice. The only option worthy enough was Jesus, God himself in the flesh. When Jesus died on the cross, that was extremely costly for God. A gift is incredibly costly for the giver, but in that gift, though, there's life, there's hope, there is freedom, all is forgiven, all our wrongdoings are washed away, and that harmony, our relationship with God is restored. Romans 8 demonstrates this really well. This is God speaking. He says, or speaking about God, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? What Paul is saying is, look, 
God has already sacrificed everything. He's already made the ultimate sacrifice to save you. What this shows us is that God is all in. If he's already gone that far, he's not backing out now. Christ died on the cross as a sacrifice, then he rose again to prove that he really does have power over sin and death. Accept the gift. Choose to trust in what Jesus has done on the cross rather than what we ourselves have done. Because what we have done is never going to cut it. So receive the gift. The last part about this I, I think is so beautiful, which is when a gift is truly amazing, truly remarkable, the giver gets the glory. Think about a time when someone went above and beyond at Christmas or your birthday. Maybe this is recently, maybe it's when you were a kid, and they gave you the absolute perfect gift. Maybe you got this awesome new outfit you wanted. Maybe you got the PlayStation. Maybe you got a yacht. I don't know what. If you got a yacht, I'm available for adoption. I want to be in your family. In those moments, certainly there's appreciation for the gift, but even more so, there's appreciation and admiration for the giver. We say, oh my goodness, that person is so thoughtful. They are so generous. They are so wonderful. The giver gets the glory. See, that doesn't work if you paid for it or if you earned it. If you saved up money for several years to buy a new car and you eventually buy this car, when you do that, you know that thing when you invite your friends over to check out your new car? What do they say? They always say, way to go. This is so cool. I'm so excited that you got this new car. I'm, I'm proud of you. Nobody ever says, hey, way to go, Toyota dealership. Make that quota. No. <laughs> you paid for it. You, you earned it. It's your accomplishment. You get the glory. If we're looking for a job or, or maybe we have a job and we're trying to get a promotion, it might be months, it might be years, but eventually we, we get that position. Nobody ever says, hey, way to go, hiring manager. I knew you had it in you. No, they say to you, you have worked so hard. You deserve this. I am proud of you. I am excited for you. If I paid for it, I get the glory. If I worked for it or earned it, I get the glory. But when a gift is truly amazing, truly remarkable, the giver gets the glory. The gift of the Holy Spirit is indescribably amazing, and the God who gives good and perfect gifts gets the glory. For the Holy Spirit to enter our lives, all we have to do is receive the gift, to believe in what Jesus did for us on the cross, turn from our old ways, and to say thank you, God, for this gift. Many of us here have already done that. We have already experienced that in our lives. We've accepted that gift. Ephesians says, when you were believed, you were marked with a seal, the Holy Spirit. Everyone who has believed has the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean there isn't still growth, that there isn't maturity. We are all on a journey. I'm on a journey. Tracy is on a journey. You're on a journey. But the Holy Spirit empowers us in our lives to follow Jesus better and better every day. And we all have that spirit prompting us, leading us, guiding us. All God's gifts are for God's glory. 
Spiritual gifts bless the church so that the church can give God glory. The Holy Spirit points towards God so that all will proclaim God's glory. And lastly, the gift of the Holy Spirit is truly a gift so that the giver gets the glory. Today we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Lord's Supper is the rite of ongoing fellowship, ongoing commitment with Christ, where we remember our own commitment when we placed our faith in Christ and continue our commitment and fellowship with Jesus. So today let's take time to reflect and remember the incredible ways that we have already been blessed and continue to be blessed daily because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. Let me pray for us and then we're going to celebrate communion together. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit who leads us, who guides us, who empowers us in our lives. Father, we thank you that the Spirit also gives us incredible abilities that we get the privilege of using to serve others. Father, I ask that you would empower us to use our spiritual gifts, that we would not merely be observers, but that we would actually be excited to serve others in our church community. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come here and worship you together. Father, we love you, we worship you, and we thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at storycitygh or online at storycitychurch.com. Go and be the church.